First Thessalonians, turn to chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 4. Have you all heard of Paul? Paul would end up writing a lot of letters. Did you know this is the first one we think that he wrote? And in the first letter that he wrote to a bunch of new Christians, he focused on hope. Look at verse 4. This is unbelievable what it says. He says to these young new Christians, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we must li- we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another, and build one another up just as you are doing. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I'm so thankful that you saved the Apostle Paul and that he'd write this letter to Christians just like us, living in a city, living in a time where they had forgotten their identity. And I pray, Lord, in your mercy and grace, would you open our eyes today so that we would see the beauty of Christ, open our ears so that we would not only hear this good news, but believe this living word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, with your Bibles open, please be seated. About 10 years ago, the movie came out called Despicable Me. Did you ever see this movie? It was an animated movie starring a really despicable supervillain named Gru, I kind of took it personal because he was about 50-ish years old, and that's how old I am. And he had his yellow-colored minions, and boy, everybody just watches these these irreverent little minions. But Gru, if you have ever seen him, raise your hand if you've at least seen this movie. Okay, you're pretty aware of him as a cultural um, movie star, if you will. He is introduced in the opening scene in such a despicable way. As a middle-aged man, he's walking in the park on a sunny day, and he meets a little boy, a little boy who had lost all hope. Do you remember the scene? He had an ice cream cone in his hand, and like all of us have experienced, that scoop had fallen off, and it had hit the ground, and it was melting. Gru stops. He looks at this hopeless little boy. He looks sad which we think he's probably pretending being a supervillain, and Gru reaches into his jacket only to pull out a long, deflated blue balloon. The boy looks at him. Gru, Gru blows his air into the balloon and makes an, like one of these animal shapes, a little dog. The boy's face looks at this balloon and he has a look of hope. Gru gives him this balloon The boy hugs it with hope, but right when the boy is bursting with hope, Gru pulls out a needle and pops the balloon. 
He smirks in his despicable way and walks off. That little boy stands there utterly hopeless. Can any of you relate? Imagine in your life the times that you have hoped. Imagine hope is a balloon. When you're young, you go to that balloon and you breathe your longings into that balloon. You shape those longings into the future, which you really hope will be good. See, with hope, we always start with a vision of the future. Then we work back to figure out how we can achieve the future. Maybe when you were a kid, you dreamed of becoming a pediatric neurosurgeon. We have a volunteer in the hospital right now. Isn't even done with high school. And I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? A pediatric neurosurgeon. Maybe you wanted to be a marine biologist. That's what I wanted to be in fourth grade. I mean, doesn't everybody want to be a marine biologist? Or a lot of you, just by looking at this audience, you thought you were going to be a sports legend. And maybe some of you are. I just need to get to know you better. But look, life happens. And the grades you get aren't what you thought they'd be. Or you're too short for basketball. You hear your parents say to kind of brace you for the real world, don't get your hopes too high. Or you hear your own friends when you say, I'm going to be a marine biologist, look at you and say, the words you dread to hear, you wish. Things outside of your control will pierce those balloons of hope. You end up, stop breathing your dreams sometimes into those hope balloons and you settle for cynicism. Or worse, some of us sink into despair. You've heard the term, once burned, twice shy. Have you been betrayed? Have you experienced bereavement? Have you had a breakup with a relationship you thought would last a lot longer? You do the emotional math and you know that loss is so real that the flicker of hope on your horizon begins to fade. That sense of helplessness can actually harden into the emotional cement of hopelessness over time. Dante, when he wrote his very famous uh, story, he has a sign that deals with utter hopelessness. Over the gate of hell, do you all know what that says? It says, abandon all hope, you who enter here. What if you could have hope that was impenetrable? What if you could have hope that was unpierceable? What if you could have, using maybe a word today, bulletproof hope? The title for the sermon today, looking at these words from the Apostle Paul to this church, is simply bulletproof hope. Three images will come before us. Light, a breastplate, a helmet. My burden as I preach to you this good news is the same as Paul's for those early Christians. I want you ready to face the battle for hope. If you went to a battle, would you really show up wearing flip-flops, a tank top? No. If you were going into battle, your identity would be one of a soldier and you would need to show up dressed for battle. Many of us here do not live our lives dressed for the battle of hope. And we need to, we need to hear today this good news. So the good news is this, if you want to see the path we're going to take. You already have bulletproof hope. 
because you have an identity of being light. You actually have a breastplate of faith and love, and you have a helmet of salvation. So let's look at these today. Number one, do you realize right now, you have a bulletproof hope because of your identity as light. What does it say in verse 6? For you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of darkness. Those of you that have walked with Christ a long time and you know the story, what's the first thing our Father created? Let there be light. You know that. And there was light. At the end of the very story, those of you that have read to the end in the book of Revelation, do you realize that the story of light ends where God obliterates, he obliterates any trace of darkness. It says this in Revelation 21, the city has no need for the sun of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. That's Jesus Christ. If we look in the middle of the story, do we see light? It's everywhere. There is more light in the scripture than all of the light shows that you're going to go watch with your family. The Speedway's putting on a light show. We're going to go see the one in Ballantyne. Uh, there is more light. Where do you see it? Think of the story of Noah. It rains. It's dark. But the story of Noah ends with light, the rainbow. By the way, if you just picture light as this bright white thing, light, remember, is wavelengths. We have all sorts of colors. So when you hear you are children of light, it is not just a bright whiteness. We have Noah who sees a rainbow. We see a fire in the wilderness with Moses. In fact, Moses hangs out with God. Remember what happened to his face? It was glowing. He had to wear a veil over it. Look at the tabernacle. It wasn't just something that was set up. The tabernacle had to face eastward to allow the sunrise to filter into it. Same with the temple. What about the glory cloud in the temple? Or go to the New Testament. Our very story during Christmas is that light erupts when the angels appear to the shepherds. Light. It's mysteriously beautiful. It's both insubstantial. You can't put light in a jar, for instance. But it's real. It gives off warmth. When it's refracted, it's full of color. With light, we can actually see everything that was hidden. That's why when Jesus arrives in the story, what does he say? He says, I am the light of the world. I love today how we all waited for the lighting. The world was waiting for Jesus to show up. The world was waiting. That's why we think of the idea of Advent. Jesus then says to those that were following him, you are the light of the world. That's an identity statement. Paul, who wrote this story, wouldn't have even be following Jesus if he didn't see a bright light. Read his story. He Finally, he couldn't even see it was so bright for a while. And Peter is stuck in a jail, not for long, because that jail lit up with light. 
and he was set free. You have bulletproof hope because you are children of the Father of lights. Now, some of you get really anxious. You're going to leave here today, and there's three things that typically get me anxious. Anxiety number one is if I feel like I've lost my phone, I kind of go nuts. Have you ever had the experience where your phone is in your jacket pocket, but you forgot it was there, and you just are like getting ready to get in the car, and you're like, oh my goodness, oh my, or maybe you've seen someone have the freakout session, but then you realize it's right there in my pocket. Or think of you, those of you that wear glasses. You ever have your glasses right on your head and you start freaking out? Where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? Or maybe you're not that person. How embarrassing when you find them that they're right there. Maybe you're the one that goes out to the car and you're like, oh my goodness, I got to get my car keys. I can't find my car keys. You pick up every cushion in the house and you start getting angry at everybody and you reach in your pocket. They were there the whole time. What Paul is reminding these Christians is that they don't have to go out and find this identity as light. The most hopeful of pictures. You already have it. Well, how do you get it? How do you get this free gift? Colossians 1.13, which is one of my life verses, I love what it says. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. How do we get it? It's from God. He does the movement from darkness. Now, it's a domain of darkness. A domain. When light is absorbed and not reflected, and that's what we're supposed to be doing, you have that color black. Black really isn't even a color. It's just total absorption of the light. This domain of darkness. Now, in our culture, what is it that our culture tries to say, you should just live for, but it's going to absorb the light. Andrew Fellows, I love how he writes. He says there are four dark cultural super values. I'm not going to develop any of them, but remember, you and I breathe this air. You and I always have these going on. Number one, a super value in this domain of darkness, which we're not in anymore, is egoism. That's a fancy way of saying Put yourself at the center of everything. It's the person that comes to church today and says, there's certain things I liked and I didn't like. I sure hope everybody knows it's all about me. Egoism. It's dark. Oh, any kind of light, just to let me absorb. It's all about me. I am my own reference point. Secondly, he says, naturalism. What's that? It's the super value of believing that what we perceive with our senses is the only reality. It says there is no supernatural. Thirdly, it's called hedonism. That's a super value that says my pleasure is what life's all about. And lastly, politicism. It's a super value believing that the political realm is where the world is made right. I work with a number of people, and whenever I talk to them, they spend hours and hours watching television shows, news about politics. That's all they want to talk about. Now, is it wrong, by the way, to enjoy any of these? We do have a self. The natural world exists, and we should love it. We do enjoy pleasurable things. And yes, politics has a place. But when you say that the domain, that These are the things that we live for. These are the things that give light. 
we've been transferred out of that domain into a domain of hope. We are not in that domain of hopelessness. So remember, how do you have bulletproof faith, uh, bulletproof hope? You are right now children of light, refracting, radiating the colors of the king. I love what it says in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 8 and 9. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. You possess a bulletproof identity right now as light. And as light, how are you supposed to live? Let's look at verse 6. Because Paul wants to move from reminding us of what we are. And many, many, most of you probably are like, yeah, I already knew that, Howard. Paul knew even when we know that, he has to give some cautions. He has to say, even when you know this, look at verse 6. He says, let us not sleep. Let us keep awake and be sober. It's really important. Let's talk about keeping awake. What are we to keep awake to if we want to have bulletproof hope? Keep awake to wonder. I love this time of the year. Our songs say it's the most wonderful time of the year. Even in a secular world that's naturalistic, there's so much going on that tempts us all to say, could there be something beyond what we can, te- what we can see and feel and touch and measure? Keep awake to wonder. Keep awake to the supernatural. There's more going on that meets the eye. One of the largest deserts in the world is a desert in Australia. For many, many years, the Great Victoria Desert was just that. It was sand, it was sticks, it was stubble. And when you looked at it, everybody said, that's all you've got. But about 20 years ago, somebody found out that there was more going on that meets the eye. They were awake to something more than what they saw with their physical eyes. They found out that just below the surface, there were trillions, trillions of liters of water. Sure, it looked like a dry desert of death, but those awake to what was below found that there was a river of life in this desert. Unseen things are true. Unseen things like the tripersonal God who created everything out of nothing. Unseen things like sin, guilt, the second person of the Trinity, becoming a baby, having two natures in one person, a virgin named Mary having a child. Unseen things like love, unseen things like hope really exist. So what's the opposite of keeping awake to this wonder? Sleeping. Sleeping is when we disengage from conscious hope. Asleep to God. How do you become asleep to God? It's when you reach for superficial things, like superficial human intimacy, superficial career progression, superficial family experiences, superficial physical health. There is a chamber in your heart that is hungry for hope. And Paul is saying, wake up. Don't fall asleep. This is so important if you're going to have bulletproof hope. I love what Titus says, another 
um, letter. In, in chapter 2, verse 13, Paul said this, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ right now is alive. We are waiting, just like we were waiting for that light to be lit. We are waiting for Jesus to come through those glory clouds in full color. That is our blessed hope. But Paul realizes, with all of his words, he's got to put another challenge out there. He says, not just don't fall asleep, he says, be sober. Be sober. It's a command. He says in verse 7, look, those who get drunk are going to get drunk at nighttime. I have spent a long, a long part of my life as an emergency department nurse, 15 years on the night shift. I have more stories to tell you about seeing drunken human beings in the middle of the night. This is when we get inebriated. This is when people get intoxicated. But what's Paul talking about? He's talking about we don't want to become spiritually drunk. We can actually become numb to what's meaningful. How? It's when we spend all of our time on the trivial. When you spend time on the trivial rather than the true, you become numb. You are not sobered up. In fact, your life becomes quite boring. Here's how it works in my life. Typically, I want to consume something. And when I do, it satiates me. I feel really good. But then I'm withdrawing, and I want to get it again so I crave, so I consume, and I feel full. And then I feel a withdrawal and I crave. Paul is saying, be really careful here because a lot of our appetites, a lot of those good things like eating a cookie or good things like wanting to have a good experience, he says, you can go after that stuff and get stuck in a cycle of addiction like shopping till you drop. How many of you have shopped for something? It comes from Amazon and five minutes after you get it, the buzz is already is fading and you're like, I got to get something more. If we absorb the attitudes of the world, the spiritual air around us, these attitudes will anesthetize us. Some of us right today are quite anesthetized. I have always enjoyed uh, Puddle Glum. Puddle Glum is called a marsh wiggle, and he is from the stories of C.S. Lewis in the Silver Chair. My favorite scene in the book is when this fella saves the day. How? How could a marsh wiggle save the day? Well, he and Jill and Eustace fall into this dark hole and a queen walks over. And as the story goes, they all say, wait a minute, there really is a son. There really is Aslan. Aslan is the Christ figure. And she says, no, there's not. All there is is darkness. Your world isn't real. And she starts to play like a mandolin sort of an instrument and she speaks seductively. And as the story goes, the children start to forget about the supernatural world of Narnia. It says this, her song and her words got into your brain, got into your blood. It became hard to think. She said, there's no such thing as the overworld. There's no such thing as trees. There's no such thing as Aslan. There's no sun. There's no Narnia. And this phrase comes out. It says, Jill said, oh, I see in a heavy, hopeless tone. Well, just when they were all coming under this numbing kind of green powder she threw into the fire, the marsh wiggle gets up and he stomps with his big old frog kind of feet on the fire and he says the real world 
is true. Well, things got ugly. She didn't like the fact that he had challenged what she was saying. And they all came out of this terrible disenchantment. Remember, you are children of light. There will be times when the world is sending out its attitudes and you're going to have to make a stand and be reminded. And often it's in church. Often we are the ones that are saying to each other, the Christian story is real. Wake up. Be sober. So what does it say in Romans 13, 12? The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And that's what we're going to do in the next 10 minutes. We're going to talk about two pieces of armor that will help you to have bulletproof faith. A breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of hope. So secondly, you already have a bulletproof hope. Why? Because you're wearing a breastplate of faith and love. Verse 8, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. Why would you wear armor? Why would anyone wear armor? Because the body is fragile. It's really vulnerable at key points. This week, I was in one of those holiday lines as a leader at the hospital, and we were serving all of our teammates, and I got to stand next to the chef who was carving the ham. And I noticed he was wearing one of these. On his hand, it looked like to me he was wearing a garden glove. And while I was doing the rolls and the cranberry sauce, I says to the chef, what in the world are you wearing a garden glove for? And he looked at me like I was a little bit crazy. He goes, this is not a garden glove. He goes, have you never heard of a cut glove? I said, honestly, I've never heard of that. He said, no, if you're going to be working anything where you're cutting things, I have to wear a glove on my hand. And he takes the knife and he cuts the glove. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, it didn't hurt him at all. His most fragile area was safe. What's a breastplate? A breastplate makes sure that that most vital organ, your heart, doesn't get cut. I love the heart, but it's only an organ that weighs a pound. It will beat 3.5 billion times in the average life, and you realize that it pumps 1,680 gallons a day of your blood. That's more than any of you are going to pump, unless you have a Tesla. That's more gas any of you are going to pump all year. This is a very fragile organ. You don't want your heart getting pierced. But it's not the accent on the breastplate. It's a breast, breastplate of faith. Faith. Faith deals with what can I trust. How is faith related to hope? Hope deals with will my life get better or worse and is there life after death? Hope is faith directed towards the future. I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of the things you don't see. Faith is this deep, defiant, hope-infused vision for God's promises to come true. And hope nourishes our faith. Well, where do we get faith? Romans 10 tells us it comes from hearing Hearing comes through the word of Christ. Unbelief is not just someone that says, I don't want God. Unbelief is when you or your friends or your family don't want his word. I don't want the authority of Christ. The breastplate of faith that will protect you 
it says you can trust the very word of Christ. But it's not just faith. It's not just our truths that we believe. It's a breastplate of love. Love. Love speaks to our hunger for connection and belonging and forgiveness and acceptance and sharing and giving. Christianity is not at its center a set of rules that you live by to be lovable. It's a love affair where God looked at you in your unlovable state and fell in love with you. So you have bulletproof faith. You have bulletproof hope because of this breastplate of faith, because of this breastplate of love. And lastly, you have it because of your helmet of salvation. Why wear a helmet? A blow to the head will render you not only unconscious, but it could disable you. When I began my nursing career, I worked on a head injury floor. Maybe you have a relative or a friend where they've had a severe head injury. It's a terrible thing. Even the NFL, which we all love to watch this year, challenged the players to wear this device called a guardian cap. Now, it's a silly looking thing. But when you're doing this sort of fake war back and forth, and we have so much money invested, and you will thousands of times, if you're an NFL player, hit your head, that guardian cap is saying the head matters. The stress, though, is not the helmet. Remember, these are images. What does it say in verse 8? 1 Thessalonians 5.8. It's a helmet, the hope of salvation. That's a great, great word. Salvation. What is salvation? It's delivering a person who's in extreme danger from a confining crisis into a spacious clearing free from limitations. Don't you want one of these? How in the world do you get this helmet? How do you get this breastplate? How do you experience salvation? You cannot save yourself. God must save you. If you are trapped in a burning building and you cannot get out, you need that fire, the fireman to show up with all of the gear to break in and to save you. Those of you that know your scripture story, you realize that this whole idea of a breastplate and a helmet, this is not the first time it comes up. Don't you remember that in Isaiah 59, the people couldn't save themselves and God is looking at them and God being a great God of love. In Isaiah 59, 19, he says, you know what, since you can't save yourself from the burning building of your destructive sin, it says God put on righteousness as a breastplate. God put on a helmet of salvation on His head. Now this was the foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus Christ. And look at verse 9 in 1 Thessalonians. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus means God saves. Aren't you glad that your destiny is not wrath? Your inevitable future is not the deserved wrath of God for your sin. Your inevitable future is that you have obtained salvation. This is good news. And by the way, I did not come today to give you any good advice. 
I came today to give you this good news. Look what it says in verse 10. Paul's on a roll. How in the world can we get saved? It says, Jesus who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live through him. Jesus on the cross wore a helmet of thorns so that our heads would be fully protected forever. You know he was crucified on a rock formation that was called the skull? So that you and I would be saved. Jesus hung on a cross without a breastplate. You remember that a sword would pierce into his side and into that fragile organ of the heart. His heart would break so that your heart will never break. Watching his love for us, don't we exercise faith? Don't we trust not just an idea or a story, but him? Don't our hearts burst with hope, a hope that can never be pierced? What do we do? What do we do if you have this hope? And I want to talk to just our core group, the group that during our soft launch has said, let's have a new church. He's talking not to a person, but to a group of people. And he says to this group of people, do not keep this hope to yourself. Share it. Look at verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. Oh, this is a great, great calling and response. So I will say to you, Aspen Grove, you are light right now. Not just a blazing white light, that would be good, but the colors that I see when I look at those of you that possess this hopeful light. You have the true story of the world. You are loved by Christ. You are saved, and when He comes again, you will experience final salvation. Your most vital parts are protected forever. So we can build each other up. We can build each other up. If you are not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here. I want to encourage you with two things that Jesus said. And it's going to take faith to actually believe it. Jesus said in the book of John, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Some of you here today that have never believed in Jesus are being invited by Jesus Christ. Remember, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. This is his word. Let me read it again. It's such good news. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. And then he says this in John 12. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, may not remain in darkness. Christians, how can we keep this to ourselves? How can we not encourage those that are in the dark? How can we not encourage those of us that are losing hope when we live in the light and we forget who we are? I want to say to you, take courage. Give others courage. I end with one of my favorite parts of another one of C.S. Lewis's story stories. It's called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Lucy stands for all of us. She knew Aslan. She knew Aslan, the Christ figure. She knew him. But she was on a boat one day. And while she was on this dawn treader, the name of the boat, 
She was standing with a bunch of soldiers, and it says that they were wearing full armor and helmets. You'd think she felt hopeful, but the ship, even with the soldiers, began to enter utter darkness. All hope began to drain away, even from Lucy. Lucy whispers, because that's all she could do, Aslan, Aslan, if ever you loved us, would you send us help now? Do you hear that? Love, salvation. She's in the dark. The darkness didn't grow any less. But she began to feel a little, a very, very little better. Look, said somebody on the ship. There was this tiny speck of light ahead. And while they watched, a broad beam of the light fell upon the ship. And it didn't alter the surrounding darkness, but the whole ship was lit up as if by a searchlight. Lucy looked along the beam and presently saw something in it. At first it looked like a cross, but then she noticed it was an albatross. And no one except Lucy knew that as it circled the mast, it whispered something to her. Courage, dear heart. And the voice she felt sure was Aslan's. I hope today you will hear Christ whisper to you when you are feeling hopeless, courage, dear heart. Maybe it's the simple reminder that you're already light. You're not in that domain of darkness and you never will go back to it. Maybe it's being reminded that he has given you faith and you've trusted him. Maybe it's just hearing him whisper and say, I know you feel unlovable. I know you feel dirty. I know you feel full of shame. I love you. Maybe it's those of you that are saying, my head's so messed up. I'm not thinking straight. I'm so overwhelmed with all the attitudes of the world. I, I'm living a superficial, trivial life. I'm feeling lost. Maybe it's the whisper to say, you got a helmet on. A helmet that'll never come off. It's the helmet of the hope of salvation. And you will never, ever lose the consciousness. You are light. You are protected with faith and love. You are wearing right now a helmet of the hope of salvation. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for Paul. Paul would have been in the dark if you didn't knock him to the ground with light. But you didn't leave him there. You armored him. And we thank you that in what we think is this first letter to Christians, he would remind them of this bulletproof hope. Lord, prepare us as a church to be ready to encourage each other with this hope. We discourage easy. And Lord, those of our friends and neighbors who are stuck in darkness, Send us out as light to bring them into the light of your love. In Christ's name we pray, amen.